Um, should we start? I think so. Cool. So this is episode two of Chin Up. I'm James, this is Chris. Hello. And let's have a bit of chit chat, shall we? So, yeah. how was your week? Good. Long, actually, this week. Um, What's been going on? I feel tired. But I have another fight week. Um, but we've had 10 now since the start of August, so I've gone from obviously not working for six months to then working almost every weekend. And it's four, do four live shows a week. And the fatigue has just started to set in. So I started doing this thing where, have you heard of decision fatigue? So you know, you know Steve Jobs always used to wear the same roll neck every day. Yeah. So it's all to do with, if you're in that mode where you're, your mind's very full, you're trying to focus on lots of things every day, they say try and limit the number of things you have to make decisions on when you first wake up. So if that means you've committed to getting up and exercising in the morning, how often have we found excuses because we can't find our socks, trainers, you know, skins, whatever it is. Whereas if it's all laid out the night before in a little pile, so I get my t-shirt, my skins, my trackies, my socks, everything I need so there's no excuses, water bottle, and I just put it in the, on the middle of the floor. And so even when I'm completely knackered, because I know how important exercise is when I'm tired, if I can get up and do half an hour on the bike or skipping or whatever it is, come back and have a shower before the go to breakfast, my day is 20% better. So yeah, I've been doing that this week. Um, and it's made a bit of a difference. That's good. Yeah, but I feel I feel tired, so just trying to push through now the last last three or four weeks, and then we'll get to get to Christmas. But we're nearly there. Yeah, got the Christmas sure. tree up. Not too early. Not this year. I don't think so. We need the morale boost. Yeah, we do. We all, it can. I mean, you know, what's the what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Um, what's the harm? What's I think it's, it's created a nice ambiance in the flat. And you've got a dinosaur bauble. Yeah, a friend bought me a couple of little dinosaur baubles because I'm a I'm a big dinosaur nerd and. Uh, I think it's lovely, it's nice to come home to. So, nice. Yeah. Um, going back a topic, what was the, you mentioned about training whilst you're away, how were you doing that with gym shut and stuff? Yeah, so in we're in a, a bio bubble, so we're in the Hilton uh, Hotel at Wembley, and they've got, um, they've set up one of the conference rooms, they've got a couple of bikes, a couple of treadmills, um, one of the security guys bought a barbell, nice. with, with just some templates, so there's been a bit of circuits, skipping rope, um, and then they've got some med balls and stuff, so, Basic, but enough to like go through the motions, get get a little workout done every day. Nice, mm. that was good. How's your week been? Doing all right. Um, at the time of recording this, gym's still shut, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so been doing a lot of Zoom one-on-one sessions, all of my usual online programming, trying to get some bits set up for December, um, trying to set up a little uh, online group coaching yeah. product, um, which would be interesting. Going to try and get a little charity tie into that as well. So that'd be fun. Never really done anything like that before. Okay. So new project to be to be working on. Um, yeah, otherwise just doing the thing, doing training, working hard. Yeah. You were a beast last week. You were a beast. What went on last week? Uh, you hit 205 on your squats. Oh yeah, for five. Yeah, yeah. 150 on the benches, yeah, PBs all over the gaff. Yeah, so my coach, Johnny, has just come back from his mad Ben Nevis. Did trip. they do it? They didn't, they didn't manage to do it as planned. But he's he put like a great bit of kind of debrief out on all of his socials. Very interesting to like talk about like the challenges they faced. The weather was atrocious. Um, various issues early on, but they kind of like stuck out the full ten days. Just felt just short of their kind of like um, of this vertical marathon, but massive achievement nonetheless. Mm. Um, yeah, raised tons of money as well. Right. Yeah. Fair play. Fantastic. Well done, lads. Yeah. Very very really, cool. Really really good. And I think on, on their topic, they're raising money for Movember. Something worth mentioning that Movember have just released this week. They have got this tool called Conversations. So we've all had like um, perhaps topics that we thought are quite difficult to like necessarily broach with your mates or yeah. like especially men in your, in your family, you know, typically, or men in your life, I should say. Typically, we find certain things quite difficult to talk about. Mm. Um, the this tool basically helps you talk about things that are particularly kind of topical at the moment. So stuff like unemployment, job uncertainty, work-life balance, mood changes, and it basically just helps you kind of just broach those conversations. Yeah, having a having a proper chat. Um, so yeah, definitely worth checking out. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really cool because obviously that we we've talked about our mental health, um, haven't we, on on a number of occasions, and you know I, I think. The more you talk about it, the easier it is. 
Yeah. And once you've got over those first few discussions early doors, I remember when you first talked to me about anxiety and stuff, and I, I could tell obviously the first time we'd ever talked about it. So you sort of test the waters, but then because it was a cool conversation, it's then once you've had that once, you can then ask each other, how's your head been this week? How are you feeling? And if you've got problems, you can talk about it. And I think for, from my personal experience, I think sometimes people are scared to ask the hard questions. It's easier to share something with somebody first. People appreciate when you share something with them because they understand that can't be easy. And what tends to happen is if you share something with somebody, even if you just go, oh, my head's been all over the place this week, and then you start opening up a little bit, people then tend to go, oh, I, I feel like that. And then they feel almost like they've got a license to give you a little bit of something back. Yeah. To almost like share first sometimes is a good thing if, you're, if you don't know how to ask questions. Um, especially if there's a general talk. I mean, obviously, you know, when you get onto things like suicide and, and asking people about some really serious stuff, I think it's good to do some research on how to ask those kind of questions. But generally speaking, don't be afraid to talk to your mates about how you're feeling because likelihood is, and especially this year, most people will have struggled on some level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, how can you not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially financially. I mean, you think about you and I, you work in very specific industries and they've both been affected hugely. And that is going to take a toll on your life because when your finances are squeezed, you know, the, the thought of not being able to pay your bills at the end of the month, that causes pressure, it causes stress, it causes anxiety, and anxiety can lead to depression. We're all human. And, and so if ever there's an excuse, as if we needed one, to talk about these things, this is the year. Yeah, yeah, for sure, 100%. I think it's a very, very valuable thing to, uh, if you are uncomfortable having those conversations with people, particularly, as I say, like the men in your life. Yeah. We're like notoriously bad for talking about how we feel, yeah. typically. Um, but I mean, going back to, I think it was last year or perhaps a year before, I did a mental health first aid course and pretty much the main crux of it is just having conversations and like breaking stigma, um, yeah. that, that kind of thing. None of it is necessarily about like, you're not going in to have a conversation with your mate to be like, right, Chris, let's like solve all your problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not what it's about. No. Um, and rather interestingly, one thing that I kind of never really thought about before, but apparently is a very, I suppose like prevalent myth, is that a lot of people do think, oh, if I talk about suicide to my mate and I've got uh, this fear that they are suicidal, by talking about it, that is going to drive them to suicide. It's the opposite, isn't it? It's completely Based opposite. On, the on the research, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, they're al always worth having these conversations I've actually had that conversation having lost as you know a very good friend to, to suicide just before really the the narrative on mental health changed sort of around 2016 since then there's one or two of my mates who I've looked at and thought I bet you've been close to to that edge at some point and had a conversation and just asked and um, and both of them said yes have been at some point and the difference what's I think interesting is that you have to be able to make the separation between there's having suicidal thoughts and actually committing the act are two very different things and they can often be quite a long way apart. Yeah. Sometimes it's just thinking, I can't see a way out, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. And, and so they go through that thought process, but actually then going from that to doing something about it is, is a long leap. So don't always be completely panicked when you hear that from your friend and know that if they've told you that, as you say, that's, that valve is now released. They've shared that problem with you. And so when they get to that point of desperation, you're actually more likely to now get a call which could solve all of those problems that would be caused from them doing something that they can never reverse. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, and the other thing I will say on that is, is that with suicide, like you, you don't really take your pain away. You just pass it on to everybody else in your life and nobody in the right state of mind would ever want to do that with their friends, their families. And there's always help and people always care no matter what you think people always care so um yeah talk it's really really good to talk absolutely this week's pod topic bit of a mouthful aesthetics versus athletics here he is yeah love it so um as, a, as like an observation i think that again Probably for mainly for us lads, maybe maybe women as well. Quite often we get into training first and foremost to look good. Yeah, I think like maybe that's not the case one hundred percent of the time. In fact, it's definitely not. But for a lot of us, I think 
the majority of the time we would start out whether we want to um, kind of look better to increase our confidence and um, be more attractive whatever it might be I think quite often that's the, the determining motivator to do you kind of agree with that yeah of course yeah and then I think like the further on people get in their training career or interestingly age the shift goes across more to kind of performance mm -hmm. I would say whether that's whether that that's not necessarily performance in a traditional sense of the word like oh just because you get older or become more experienced you don't want to go and run a marathon or be an athlete performance I think could encompass like the health side of things too yeah so that's something you kind of like come across in your own training before yeah well I'm 33 now and my my mo is to be as sort of pain free as possible uh, obviously I want to be healthy and feel good every day and I know based on fluctuating between uh, 78 and 100 kilos that I feel a certain way when I'm at certain weights and that's kind of my gauge I don't weigh myself very often but I know from like looking at my physique and how I feel what kind of weight I am and I make adjustments based on that and it's little things like ankles knees back certain joints and things if I'm in a certain uh, place and I'm at, I'm at a certain weight I will feel better and so that's my aim so it's it's a functionality thing obviously having played sport for many years as I know you did I was never really training for aesthetics it was a byproduct of what I did yeah. and that was really nice obviously really nice and when you get compliments on it that's a that's a good thing for your self-esteem and everything else um, but then of course if you're just joining a gym for aesthetics uh, that's your goal and you do everything towards the, the look that you've got to do to attain that look and it's not to do with functionality but as you say what happens is as you get older your priorities shift because you actually don't want if, if being in that shape or having to eat that food or do you know whatever it is you need to do is making you more miserable and the trade-off sort of flips over where you decide that actually that, that axis crosses over at a point where I'm not happy anymore you just move the access, yeah. whether it's towards functionality, towards health, and that has to be your decision. But when you make it, it's it's the right time. So yeah, I think with age, it's, it's, um, it definitely things change. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think it's, it's very complicated to kind of boil down into a few points, like what, what moves you, what motivates you, what your goals become. But yeah, they, they of course naturally change with time, don't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could, you can think the amount of lads that might come and have come into the gym age of 18 to 25 and say like, oh, my, they might not necessarily put it this way, but their motivation would be to look better for an Ibiza holiday mm. or, or whatever it might be. That kind of thing might, again, move you at that age and motivate you, but chances are as you get a little bit older, it's probably not really gonna be quite the same, same thing. It might literally change to, um, I'm going to be a father, so I want to make sure I'm in the best shape as possible to play with my grandchildren. Yeah. Thinking all those years ahead, um, yeah, the game game changes for sure. Mm. And I think as well, there's there's like quite a lot to to kind of unpack all of this generally. So one of the biggest things I think is people aren't particularly realistic with their expectations. So Hundred percent agree. Where where like the desire to look a certain way comes from often comes from social media with a very, very unrealistic kind of expectation yeah. of how you're gonna look. But the majority of the time, it is incredibly unrealistic, I think. And, and especially when you're being sold things like six pack abs in eight weeks yeah. and, and things like that, you know, and, and any, anybody seeing that without any knowledge or any base point is gonna be bitterly disappointed unless they are in the 0.1% of genetic freaks to start with, in which case they're probably already training. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think understanding the underpinnings of, of exercise as, as part of a lifestyle, not as like a eight weeks to Ibiza or eight weeks to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 70s. It's, you've got to understand that you have to build a long-term base and that base is the underpinning of everything you do. You can't just suddenly tack on some biceps or suddenly get six pack abs. Like there's a lot of things that have to go into this before you can think about all of those extraneous things. Because otherwise, for the sake of maybe 10 years in your prime, your long-term health is gonna suffer really, really badly if you haven't developed a strong base and everything else that, that should go with being healthy as well as just looking good. Yeah, for sure. And I think you brought up a very good point about 
let's say if someone is in that kind of like genetic elite, so to speak, how they already have started training. Yeah. I think sometimes we don't give enough credit for people look a certain way, not necessarily because of the way that they perhaps train, but where they've naturally gravitated yeah. themselves towards. Yeah. So for example, for quite a lot of personal trainers who obviously client facing job, clients would say, oh, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll look like you. Not necessarily always the way it's going to work. Sometimes that person's natural habits that have been ingrained over however many years they look a certain way due to their genes, not necessarily be, like solely down to what they do on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. It's very unrealistic to expect like, right, just because I put these inputs in, I'm not necessarily going to get the same output. Yeah. And you, you know, you and I have trained together. We've got very different starting points in terms of base genetics and limb length and, and everything. We're, we're a completely different um, athlete and, and beast. So for us to expect exactly the same results and we've, We've trained, I say, fairly consistently together on and off throughout the years, but but we've got nothing like the same physiques, and so his is way better than mine. But, <laughs> but, yeah, just just so we're absolutely clear. But but on, you know, seriously, you know, you have to temper your expectations. You have to understand what you're working with, what the the goal is, and understand that it's an ongoing process. It's not a start here, end here, and then that's your end point forever. It doesn't work like that. You have to be prepared to make consistent efforts weekly uh, monthly and yearly and the shape that you're in will reflect what you're doing on a consistent basis yeah yeah for sure and I think as well being rather than also just your genetics also your your environment dictates it quite a bit as well so say if you're um, a young guy single um, doesn't work crazy hours your ability to be able to attain a certain physique is going to be completely different to a single mum with two kids who wants to lose a little bit of weight. Yeah. You know, the, the game is completely different. Mm. It's not even remotely in the same kind of ballpark. No, it's not. Energy, time to recover, um, time to, to eat the right foods and do, do things properly and, and prepare yourself for mobility, work every day, all that kind of stuff is, is, yeah, time is on your side, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think as well, I don't know if you've had the same experience, kind of, you've been around athletes a lot more than I have. And I think... Another thing that people fail to remember is that people don't look a certain way, i.e. their peak or in their prime, all the time. So, I mean, especially for, for you having had a lot of experience with boxers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, boxers will, will look a million dollars for about 48 hours. Yeah. You know, they, they weigh in and they actually look quite dry. They then rehydrate and they look, they, you know, they've got kind of, you know, 7-8% body fat, and, and but they're full. But then three or four days later, they look quite fleshy and watery because that hydration's kicked in, the muscles have filled up again, they've expanded, and it's not a sustainable look that. Same with bodybuilders, it's a similar kind of theory. Obviously, boxing is, is functional and performance-based, but it's the same kind of thing. You get depleted and go down. You've done it for shoots. You know that's not a sustainable look. No, no way. And, and it's... It's nice to know that you're in a position where if I said to you now, right, we've got to shoot in, you know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, depending on the amount of time, you know what kind of condition you could get in. But you're at a base point where you could get in good condition within a few weeks of that. And so when, going back to your point about if you've got lads watching who want to get in shape for a holiday, that's fine. And in eight weeks, you can actually turn a good physique into a really good physique by just being super strict and bringing your calories down and doing all the right things but you have to have a base starting point. You can't go from no exercise to suddenly just thinking you can smash the gym five days a week for eight weeks. Virtually nothing's gonna to happen to your physique in that time. No. Um, so I, it's, yeah. I, I think as well, it's also knowing what you are actually capable of doing and what like your adherence is going to be like as well. It's having had that experience. So it's not necessarily knowing about just what to do, it's also how to do it, yeah. how to put it into place. I think, um, We've all probably had that where like you've tried perhaps dieting for the first time and then you cock it up mm. and then the next time is a little bit better, yeah. cock up a bit more, but in a different way. And you just like anything else, like it evolves over time, your approach changes, you know what you are happy to tolerate perhaps as well. Yeah, because it can make you feel rubbish when you're in a calorie deficit. It, exactly. And again, talking about this whole kind of um, uh, topic of aesthetics versus athletics, if you're feeling terrible, you're probably not going to be performing at your at your best. It's all about trying to get that balance right in accordance with your with your goals. Yep. So if you are say 
I don't know, a bodybuilder or a physique athlete of some description, you probably are going to have a higher tolerance to feeling like crap. Mm. But if you are someone who's just like a quote unquote normie and just like goes about your day to day stuff, what's the point in tolerating feeling bad for the sake of having an extra percent or two body fat? Yeah. Just doesn't quite kind of balance out the same. No. And then going back to what we were talking about before, where these people who are perhaps in amazing shape, like physique athletes, who don't always look like that. Really interestingly, I went to visit a guy who opened his gym, how long ago was it? Probably like four or five years ago now. And he, at the time, was one of the, the best um, fitness models in the world. Mm-hmm. Opened a gym and went to the gym opening, met this guy and he, no, this isn't like a, um, a criticism of him at all, but he looks nothing like in the flesh how you how he looks in his Instagram feed. Mm. Just completely night and day different. Looks, looked like a normal bloke. But of course, when we're consuming his content, and again, this isn't a criticism of him at all, when we're consuming his content online, you're scrolling through the feed, none of his pictures look like how he normally looks. Mm. And of course, all look, you know, absolutely amazing. Not necessarily photoshopped or whatever, but you know, he is completely peeled, dry. Well, only on his, those pictures are only on his best days, which are in the vast minority. Exactly, and you think, what would have happened? You know, it's just the nature of the business, but you know, it's up to us to perhaps be savvy to this. It's mm. All he would have done was had his competitions, his photo shoots, had tons of photos taken. He's got his social media content for a year, rinse and repeat next year. That's literally just how it's gonna, how it's gonna work. Yeah, how, um, when you got down, you've done a couple of shoots, haven't you? Over the, just, just the one. Is it just the one? Yeah. Um, so how long did it take for you to get down to the condition you were in? What, what was your plan? Well, what I did was I started out by myself, dieted down like very slowly over a period of six months Yeah. to get down to a, a point that I was pretty happy with maintaining. Then I enlisted the help of a coach to work with me for another six months to get me down to photo shoot shape to a year of prep yeah so a year net if that's the right way of putting it yeah look fucking good though yeah I was, I was really pleased with how it came out and the experience was amazing but it definitely taught me a lot about what it takes to get that lean which isn't even like bodybuilding lean yeah I dread to think how I'd feel if I were to go that extra stage further yeah and also what wider impact it would have as well so in terms of kind of like your relationship with food. Um, relationship with Frankie. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So Frankie, my other half, it's, it's difficult because you're obviously expecting, well, let, let's go back a step. So when you're prepping for a shoot, there's probably some degree of necessity to have every decision you make daily has to be factored into the end kind of result on your like on your look for the day mm. so if you want to go out for a meal you need to think about where we're we going what am I going to eat um, I need to make sure it doesn't take up too much time because I've got to get my steps in for the day or my cardio or my training session or whatever and it basically just turns you into a bit of a selfish prick for a period of time and then yeah. of course if you've got an understanding partner or family or whoever is in your life at that time that's obviously great, but they're only human. They're only about to tolerate it for so long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's all it's all stuff that's um, that's worth thinking about. Yeah, that's really interesting. I did um I did a camp once to get down to the light heavyweight limit, which is just under eighty kilos. So I walk around about ninety, and I'm quite lean at ninety. You know, you see me reasonably. I'm, I'm fairly lean, but I've just plenty to come off if I wanted to really work. And so I wanted to see because. In boxing, obviously those weight limits, you have to come in just under them, and then guys rehydrate overnight, and they tend to come in maybe six, seven pounds heavier the following day. But uh, you know, if you get that wrong, those last couple of pounds, you always hear it, it's quite cliche, but those last couple of pounds can really take it out of you, and they can be the difference between you performing really well on the night and actually being completely wrecked on the night. And I thought it'd be really, really interesting to see what this is actually like. So I did it, so I did a 10-week camp, I sparred three days a week, um, I was doing runs, I was doing lots of sled work, and then I was slowly reducing my calories and just keeping an eye on my weight. Got to, I think, 81.5. I looked incredible, and there was one day where suddenly all of my numbers just plummeted. Squat, bench, deadlift, sleds, I felt flat as a pancake. I couldn't sleep properly. All I could think about was food, my focus was gone. Um, sparring, I felt like a little bit almost like my resistance wasn't quite there, I was getting hit and feeling really a bit more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suddenly understood everything that I've read about, spoken to people about, and I'm so glad I did it. And I would have had another 
nearly two kilos to come off if I'd have done an actual fight. It's, uh, right, okay, it's yeah, uh, so you had to go down a little bit further to... Yeah, and a lot of that last week is water weight, but of course, you have to kind of take that water out in those last 48 hours. At, in the same time as you're doing all the media interviews, you've got to give your time to everybody, you're, obviously your immune system's low and you're open to pathogens, you're surrounded by loads of journos and people, and so that's when fighters tend to get ill during fight week. And the number of fighters that wake up on fight day with flu, with strange sort of respiratory disorders, and people always go, oh, it's a bit convenient, they get ill on fight day. It's, it's highly inconvenient, and it's all to do with being right at the bottom of the tank. And just, you know, sometimes that point where fighters are comfortable comes up. For me, it would have been about 83 kilos. I was full, I was lean, I still had power, but I felt good and sharp. And then suddenly, just one kilo either side, and you can be wrecked or you can feel great. And if that, that kilo happens to fall just, just on the limit, then you're perfect. If it falls just below, you're in real trouble. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna find it difficult. And I think as well, for sports like that, it also has potentially wider implications as well. So we won't go into it too much now, but I think it's interesting, it's worth mentioning. The, um, I believe there's a body of research that suggests that your concussion risk goes up. It does. Um, so that's obviously an enormous part and you know, I guess that's then down to whoever that athlete or boxer is working with in order to be able to do any sort of weight cut as safely as possible, minimising those risks. So it's one of those things, isn't it? I think a lot of times people would just think about, oh, it's only scale weight, but actually it can have really kind of quite wide reaching implications. Yeah, 100%. Definitely worth um, worth thinking about. Yeah, definitely. And, and so just on the last point, it, it's often worth noting you see people on the scales whether you're a casual fan, you see Anthony Joshua on the scales or some of those well-conditioned guys, just because they look incredible, it doesn't mean you're going to get a great performance no. the, the following day. No, for sure. I think there's a, there's a phrase, isn't there? Like, I think it's like, looks right, flies right. It's not always the case. No. I mean, you think super heavyweight boxers, we were talking about strongman earlier. Yeah. Some of them, by traditional standards, don't look good. Like... They look incredibly unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and to a, I guess to a point, this is where like, I, I guess we're perhaps going into another discussion. But is is aiming for performance in some sports? So to be top of your game and the highest performer possible, is that even healthy in itself? Sometimes, you think, especially in things like strongman, perhaps like ultra endurance runners as well, like pushing their bodies to like absolute kind of like extremes. Well, you've only got to watch the the Eddie Hall 500 kilo deadlift and look at the state of him and watch the blood pouring out of his nose and his face go purple and him collapse on the bar. Yeah, going on oxygen. On oxygen. Yeah, yeah. And, and having sort of heart palpitations. You think, well, that's one lift and you've yeah. done that to yourself. And you come in weighing, you know, probably what, 12, 13 stone more than your body naturally would have weighed if you'd have just had a normal life. Yeah. You've carried that around with, for three or four years. What is that going to do to you long term? in the pursuit of having that one great moment. And someone like him, because his pursuit of greatness is so single-minded, and you look at people like Michael Jordan and the, the all-time greatest in their disciplines, they wouldn't trade that moment for anything. And that sacrifice, funny enough, I was watching Ronnie Coleman on Joe Rogan's Oh uh, yeah, yeah, how, how was that? Really good, really, really good. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's three hours of conversation, but it's, he has no regrets, even though he's had, what, how many vertebrae and spine fused and bolts in there, he says, I'll do it all over again. He said, no, I'd actually go for more reps next time because that greatness and to be able to look back on that for him is worth the lack of mobility and everything that he has today. So you, like we said in the first episode, you'd make your own choice. You decide what you're willing to risk if you're going to, if you are going to take high risks and then you have to be prepared to live with those, the consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think like sometimes the only issue I ever take with that is I think sometimes people don't, recognise the enormity of the consequences. Agreed. That's, that's when it becomes a real tricky issue and I yeah. think that's why like, I guess the problem is like, in this day and age, you could caveat absolutely everything. You could say like, right, um, you could do this, but you might not want to do this because yeah. X, Y, Z, like whether that's, so you, you could easily say, someone comes into the gym and says, right, um, James, I want to I lose some weight, I want to get a little bit fitter you could, like there are risks of losing weight. So like you could talk about the risk of like eating disorders going up. You could, and I must admit, I'm not completely familiar about like the data and like how high that risk actually is, but mm. it's a risk nonetheless. At what point do you say like um, the, the benefit of something else 
really outweighs those risks mm. versus um, saying actually no you shouldn't do this because there is that risk there present mm. but I mean I guess like with someone like Ronnie that is a real I guess extreme isn't it like he is well he was the top of his game for how many years yeah eight like, nine years maybe yeah, longer. Yeah. yeah so I guess we are talking about a bit of a different beast but um, yeah interesting nonetheless yeah um, so I'll tell you what let's now talk a little bit about um, would you I would assume that the majority of people probably want to go somewhere in the middle between the the aesthetic and athletic kind of like should we call it like spectrum yeah so I reckon a good place to start would be to talk about uh, perhaps we've spoken quite a lot about training let's talk a bit about the, the nutrition side of things so okay. if someone is looking for um, a blend between they wanted to look good but also to perform well I'd say that the majority of the time people need to eat somewhere around like a maintenance calorie intake so we know that you're probably not going to be performing at the top of your game if you are eating bugger all in order to get into a calorie deficit. You're not going to have the fuel there. You're not going to be able to recover well. Um, you're not going to feel particularly good, which doesn't go hand in hand with performing well. Yeah. Um, so I think the majority of the time, people need to be spending time in a bit of a calorie surplus, um, at least calorie maintenance, to be able to kind of cover the, the costs of our activity, so to speak. Yeah, and I don't think the majority of people necessarily realise how much you have to eat. Yeah, 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 for sure. You have to eat quite a lot. And I think if you laid it out in, in front of people, um, most people will be surprised that they're probably not eating anywhere near enough what, what, what they need to be in order to, you know, like you say, be in that surplus. And there's a difference between being in the surplus because you're binging on, you know, shit food and actually eating reasonably good food and enough of it to, as you say, um, give you the fuel you need enable you to recover yeah um or just on a daily basis yeah yeah definitely i think a lot of the times people's eating pattern often the ends up being maybe less so at the moment because like socializing's that little bit more difficult so you're less likely to go out on the weekends and drink a lot eat a lot whatever it might be but it, let's say like typically quite often people's weekly pattern of eating would be comparatively little during the week with quite a big overfeeding at the weekend uh, yeah. and then rinse and repeat again. But the right. problem is, is that your dietary intake is gonna have some sort of acute effect. So even though it might add up to being enough calories over the course of the week, if you've got a particularly hard training day on, I don't know, Wednesday, but because of your dietary behavior on Saturday, Sunday, on Monday and Tuesday, you've barely eaten anything, your session on Wednesday isn't gonna be particularly well fueled. And that's that's one of the things we, we discussed a long time ago and I know at the moment your probably your hardest session in the gym is, is on the Monday mm -hmm. because you're doing the, your, your sort of main double sessions squats and yeah of course um, and, and I know if I've got big sessions planned that are going to be kind of heavier loading or you know sort of full body that, that are going to require calories I'll eat big that day and I'll eat big the day before as well and if you know you're going to have a rest day and you want to you want to do anything like fasting or you want to lower your calories or whatever that's the day to do it yeah 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 yeah, for sure. Mm. It's um, yeah, it's interesting. I think yeah, a lot of the time people just don't quite take that into account. And then, what often also happens is, let's say someone has attained a six pack. Let's just say that, so they've got down to low level body fat, and then the they've then got to try and eat some more in order to actually perform. Yeah. But they get so terrified of getting fat, mm. and that's what is gonna always hold them back. So the, the amount of people I know who are stuck at the same lifts and um, the same level of performance can't seem to gain any muscle it's quite often because they literally just want to hold on to their leanness but actually letting it go a little bit is probably going to be of their long-term benefit and, and let's be brutally honest if if you're bothered about aesthetics and you want to do it during the period of the year where you're going to cover up more people aren't going to see you as much you're not going to be walking around with your shirt off start in september because the summer's finished you have six, seven months before, if you want to do a little mini cut and get in good shape for the summer and you want to feel more confident when the sun's out, then you can do that, you know, sort of starting like March, April, so you're ready sort of June, July when it gets warmer. But you can put some really good investment in. That, that was what the athletic cycle was. You'd finish your last races, end of August, early September at the latest, you go straight into winter training and you get your calories in, you're doing hard runs, you're doing longer runs, you're burning a lot more calories. And then you start to taper down as February hits, you start to do more speed work and your calories come in as a result because you want to be light and fast when you're racing. And again, 
it's not sustainable because you get to a point where you burn out and you need to go back into that winter sort of cycle again, let your body expand, do the strength work, build yourself up. And I feel like that's a, that's a solid cycle for anybody, even if you're just training for aesthetics and there's no performance element at all, do that bulk of your strength stuff um, at annual eating over the winter when it gets a little bit colder. Yeah, yeah. And I guess even if you are purely training for aesthetics, I guess you, there still is quite a large degree of performance focus in there somewhere, purely because if you do want to get a better physique, you are having to aim to get stronger in the gym. It's just maybe not performance in the traditional sense. Like yeah. You're not going to go out and run like a marathon, but you still need to perform well in the gym. That requires energy, requires you eating right. Yeah. Here's the, here's the, like, the honest truth. So, some of the people with the best physiques in the world are the 100 meter runners. Like, if you, sh if you, for Safa Powell walked in in a pair of shorts into any room, 98% of the place go, I want to look like that. But the truth is, he doesn't, he's not doing bicep curls all day, he's not on a tricep push down regime, he's doing power cleans, he's doing squats, he's on the track, he's doing his runs. Okay, yeah, he's a genetic beast, and again, we have to acknowledge that his starting point is a lot higher than most of the, of the planet. But the point is, is that, the number of people I know who have all the best physiques, yet they're not doing any of the beach weight stuff. It's all functional power training. You're pushing heavy stuff, you're pulling heavy stuff, you're doing all of your core lifts and your fundamental, and everything else comes together, provided you're eating right and you're consistent. But I think what guys don't understand is they think, you guys, well, how do I get how do I get good arms? How do I get a good chest? It's not really about that. Like your body is one full organism, and if you're not using it as one, and you're just thinking about individual, but don't get me wrong, the assistant stuff is has got its place. But if all the other basics aren't in place first, you can kind of forget all the other stuff. You'll only ever get to a certain level, and you know that to be true. I know that to be true, and for for me, it's about building that base. It's boring. Those things are the hardest. Your, your squats, your deadlifts if you're doing them properly, pushing sleds, it's hard graph, it's much harder than bicep curling, it's much harder than just doing basic assistance moves on, on doing the rounds on machines in the gym, but it's what gets you results. So if you actually want results, the irony is, focus more on performance related exercises, train like an athlete, and you'll look like an athlete. And that's the, that's the bare bones of what we're talking about. I think people flip it sometimes because and I'm sure you get asked a lot about, oh, how do I get a physique like yours? But then when you tell people what your schedule is, they almost go, don't want to hear that, it's too hard. Yeah. They want a quick fix. So people almost look for that confirmation bias and they find that person that will say, oh, do these, do that. And then they seek out that easy information because that's what they want to hear. Truth is, it's really hard to get in shape. You have to be really disciplined. You're so disciplined. People don't get it. I tell, I tell people about your routine, what you're doing day in, day out. And I think if most if people understood and actually saw it, they would realise that this isn't there's no shortcut. It doesn't matter, you could be on as much gear as you wanted, you could do this, you could do that. It's no substitute for doing the right things consistently and not swerving for the hard graft. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And I, I think within that you have to learn to love the process as well. Yeah, you have to. So I don't, I'm, I couldn't even tell you if that's something conscious that I've done or whether it's a product of just like how I've refined things over the years or even just whether it's because like I invest into my training, like I pay for a coach, That's that might be part of it. Maybe even not even like my coach Johnny's got fantastic expertise, but maybe it isn't actually just down to his expertise. Maybe it's the fact that I've said, there's some money, there you go, yeah. put some skin in the game. Commitment. And yeah, you've got that commitment there. Like, there's then that massive difference between like, of course on a Monday after, you know, I don't, um, I, I'm not just saying all of this just to uh, try and make myself like sound good, but after a like seven, eight hours work on a Monday, having started early, I don't necessarily want to go out and go outside but and run my sprints and stuff, but like, somehow I do it but it's not even necessarily like a conscious thought it's just so routine and I think that's the that is like the secret you get it habitual you get it as part of your routine and you just do it do it anyway yeah you, you are also to be fair to you mentally very very strong and you're very consistent I haven't I haven't seen many people as sort of with, with a will like yours in your training you're able to push yourself to places that no, no one else I've trained has been able to go to that place and that is 
something that is unique to you and that is I do feel like that's a gift to some extent you've worked on a lot and your your planning is exceptional your research is, is exceptional your attention to detail and technique is exceptional but in, in within you and whether it's just like you've got high tolerance to like lactic threshold you've got great endurance you've got great natural strength which you've obviously worked on but you've also got mental strength where there have been sessions where I um so the camera cut out while I was bigging James up, so I'm gonna start again. <laughs> I, I, was, I was basically saying, you're, one of the things about you, your mental strength is exceptional, and that's, the, that's I think, one of your key characteristics that I feel like is, is innate. So you, your planning is really, really exceptional. Your research, your attention to detail, technique, planning, and, and sort of executing all of those things is the package of why you've had such a successful sort by size training schedule and you've been able to do things you've done but I do think mentally you're very very strong and where that comes into play is where those sessions get really dark and really difficult you just seem to have to keep going and I know because we've trained together and done some disgusting sessions where I've completely fallen apart and got off the edge of the cliff <laughs> yet you have just um, been able to keep it together and that for me is a sign that you have something a little bit special. And I think some people will have that, or they haven't. And it's not a massive concern if you don't have it. I think you're just lucky if you do. But I do think people's ability to actually take themselves to that place that you go to on a regular basis every week is quite rare. And if you can go there, that's, it's that little place where you really get results. Um, and I know that like, these days I can't, I just can't go there very often. I've battered myself for years as a 400 meter runner, took myself to that place on a weekly basis. I, my body was far more resilient, my mind was far more resilient. And I'm genuine, I'm happy to admit it, it doesn't bother me at all. I don't have that anymore. And I'm, it, it's just almost like it's been beaten out of me. And I've got to that point where I started at 15, by 25, 26, I was like, I just feel tired. And I'm happy to almost just go through the motions. If I have a good day and I feel mentally good, and my body feels good, I'll have a big session. But the rest of the time, I just tick over. And that's cool, whereas you are still going at that level. And whether, I don't know what your drop-off point would be, whether you're 45 or 55, you might still be going when you're 80, I don't know, based on, based on this, there's no slowing the mature down. Olympics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the ultra veterans. <laughs> like a 100 year old doing that 100 meters in 80 seconds. Um, but yeah, at, at some point, things might change for you, but um, I do think for anybody that is going to perform at the elite level, that mental strength is one box that just has to be ticked. It yeah. just has to be ticked. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because as a kid, certainly by the time I got to like secondary school age, so like 11, 12, I've, for some reason, I really like enjoyed doing sport even though I wasn't very good at it. And I was quite like aware I wasn't particularly good at it, but one thing that I could always work upon was, so even though, you know like some kids have just got like naturally really good hand-eye coordination? Yeah. This guy. And <laughs> I like, that's something I just didn't particularly have, right. but I always remember seeming to be able to like have more control, like be able to work at improving like your fitness. Um, and then... Do so you like the challenge yeah, and the process? Because I kind of like, even the stuff that I do now, like, I'm, I'm really flat when people say, like, oh, I don't know how you do it, how are you so good at running, squatting, whatever. In the grand scheme of things, I'm actually still nowhere near elite level, but like, I don't really care, like, it is the honest truth. And the, it's like, yeah, it is the challenge and the, the training that I really enjoy. It's not actually necessarily so much the end point on the journey that mm -hmm. I enjoy. I just mm -hmm. love the process, love training hard, pushing myself. And I, I think a lot of people are, are the same as well. Yeah, I think you have to make it something that you enjoy. So if you enjoy working out, getting results, whether they're, as you say, performance-based because you're logging things and you want to beat a certain target in a certain amount of time, or you want to look a certain way and you're seeing your body improve and getting closer to that goal, and you tying that enjoyment with the exercise that you're doing and the endorphins you get and maybe it improves your sleep and your mood and everything else, well, enjoy that process don't see it as an end target and if i don't get to that end target i won't be happy just enjoy doing that thing as part of your your life and that's what i feel where certainly both of us have had that success is that we've enjoyed the process yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, i think that's such a good point where 
I can put myself in this category as well. I know so many people who've, especially physique goals, who've had a physique goal, attained that physique goal, and then quite often one of two things happen. One, they are not actually satisfied when they get to that end goal, which is a problem in itself. And two, they, um, without, once they've actually achieved that goal, it kind of feels like a bit empty, like, mm. oh shit, what do I do next now? Um, where do I take this on from here? Both are very problematic. However, if you actually fall in love with the process of it all, it's a completely different story. Mm. You are probably going to, that, that kind of getting that goal is just a side effect of doing what you're doing anyway. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing. And the, um, you ever heard of this guy called Alex Viada? No. Before? So he is pretty big in like the, you'd call it like the hybrid athlete world. So people who are interested in being big, strong, fit, fast, like very kind of like multi-modality of exercise. Like, like what you're doing. Exactly. And he said, um, someone someone did a Q&A, Q&A for him. I'm trying to think what the actual question was. It, it was. I think it was something like, what do you think of the 666 challenge, which is the thing I'm training for? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a sub six minute mile, 600 pound squat, 600 pound deadlift. And his answer was, really at the end of the day, all they are are just arbitrary targets. And if you break each one down, you've got a 600 pound deadlift is strong, but it's not that strong. A 600 pound squat is, is pretty damn good to be fair. And a sub six minute mile, even like there are, ki- there are children who can do that. None of them in there in isolation are actually like that good. But it's not about like, the isolation. It, of course, exactly. It's, it's not about like, yes, he is absolutely right. It's completely arbitrary. It's just got a cool, cool sounding name. But it's all about like how you get there and hats off to anyone who actually is willing to go through the process to, to get there. It's I very, think that's the important thing. Yeah, it is. And it's also, it's a very, very narrow window between having to do all of those things simultaneously. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't, for example, be able to break the pole vault and the shot put world record in the same day. No. For, for very obvious reasons and if for, for a really arbitrary explanation of, of why what you're doing is so difficult that is pretty much it the two disciplines don't really complement each other in terms of the type of training and the physique and everything that you would need to do one or the other at the same time so if you if you do hit those targets and you do manage to complete that challenge which I have every um, faith knowing you that, that you will some point eventually next, some point next year yeah whenever it is um, and I should be I should be very pleased mate I'll be there when you do it as well but I think um, drawing upon part of our topic as well, talking about aesthetics, that's something I've had to say goodbye to quite a while ago. So like I said goodbye to my abs ages ago, considering the fact that if I'm I'm lean when I'm like under 80 kilos, right now I'm sitting at 85, might have to go a little bit heavier maybe to get the squat and the deadlift done. It's not necessarily to say that like you have to let yourself get like, you know, put on tons of body fat in order to get strong, yeah. but it's certainly going to make a difference. You know, it's no coincidence that heavier people in heavier weight categories and powerlifting can lift more than ones in lighter. Like, to some extent, mass does move mass. Of course it does. Um, Tom Stoltman's at World's... Sorry to interrupt you. No, no. Tom Stoltman's at, at World's Strongest Man at the moment in the final, and he's a phenomenal uh, stone lifter, but they've looked at him, he's 6'8", he's 6'9", six, six, and they've just kind of said that you've actually got to put more mass on around your middle because you, you, you've got obviously a lot of long levers. You need some of that mass to be able to lift off and that kind of belly that those guys have got. And you see the change in his physique. And he was an aesthetic. I mean, for a guy of, what, 6'9", and I guess probably 170 kilos, he was a hell of a good, had a hell of a good physique. Yeah, yeah I, I remember seeing him at that uh, Giants live event. Like, he had like a full set of abs on him. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, it was crazy. But for a guy of his size, it's about as good as you're going to look. But now, he, his physique is aesthetically, um, n- nowhere near as good as it was because he's got more, more of a belly and he's a bit thicker around the middle. But in terms of performance, he's the strongest he's ever been. He's moving things quicker than he's ever moved them. And that is case in point. He's foregone one for the other and he's performing at the high level. And as we currently speak, he's in World's Strongest Man final in a really good position. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I think we're, ke- we're getting like reasonably close to the hour. Should we, should we try and like summarise and tie, tie things up a little bit? Yeah. So training for aesthetics versus athletics, um, performance versus the look. Assuming that someone does want to have a, a bit of both, I think if we talk, if we just try and summarise what we've mentioned about training. So, as Chris was saying earlier, the like the basic lifts are incredibly important for both. So, you know your stuff like squats, deadlifts, presses, 
all of their variations. They need to take up the bulk of your training, um, irrespective of whether your goal is primarily performance or aesthetic based. Um, and it may just be that, you know what, you might have, if your goals kind of fall more towards the aesthetic end of the spectrum, you might need to put into more stuff like bicep curls or like whatever body parts might be a little bit kind yeah, of weaker. Nothing, yeah, there's nothing wrong if you want to bring up certain body parts and you and you want to do some circuits for your arms or more, more sort of abs and core stuff, whatever it is, but they have to be a of secondary priority. Yeah. If you're primary goal is performance that that's just that's just how it is because yeah that's the thing isn't it i think a lot of people fail to recognize that if you made like the vast majority of your training be all of those basic lifts you would look damn good at the end of it if you if you managed to improve all of those lifts say by i don't know plucking numbers out of thin air 20 percent you you will look better for it in all, in all likelihood yeah um and i think as well there's also nothing stopping you from periodizing your training as well so if you do want to have periods of a year where you focus on getting much stronger in all of those key lifts um, whilst neglecting slightly, you know, things like bicep goals. We, we know that we can't build muscle um, in a, a particularly kind of like fast fashion. So there's nothing wrong with taking a period of, I don't know, six months where you're just focusing on increasing your six to 12 rep max on squats, uh, stiff leg deadlifts, close grip bench press, overhead press, etc., etc. You will still have a fantastic physique, even though you might not be fully kind of focused on chasing an arm pump at the end of your session. It's still uh, it's still all gonna be kind of putting you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and then from the diet point of view, again, talking about periodization, there's also nothing wrong with periodizing your diet as well. So if you, you probably have to take on a bit of an attitude of having an acceptance that you're gonna have some delayed gratification. So you might have to look um, it's all subjective, right? But you might have to look worse before you look better. Yeah. So say if you do want to put on a bit of muscle, you might have to forgo the abs for a short period of time, yeah. eat a little bit more, get out of constantly being stuck in a calorie deficit for the whole time, or at least striving to be in a calorie deficit. Yeah, or I mean, when you, when you properly build muscle over a long period of time, you're also going to acquire some fat. Yeah, and yeah you, you literally can't be helped, can it? No, and then when you, when you then start to lose that, that fat you have essentially retained newly built muscle which you couldn't have built if you were in a calorie deficit provided it's done properly provided we'll, it's done we'll, properly. that's probably a topic for, for another time yeah it is yeah um so yeah so i think um that's pretty much it in a nutshell isn't it good stuff mate well uh merry early christmas very nice it is um we'll do another one of these next week shall we? absolutely so yeah i think we're, we're hoping on getting some guests in aren't we for for the next few. We are. Um, uh, we're going to speak to a good friend of mine, Radzi Chinyanganya, who you will recognise off the telly. Does a lot of presenting for the BBC. Um, he, in his sort of heyday, so he presented Blue Peter for the last six or seven years, um, won Gladiator, completed Ninja Warrior. He's a real athlete and he was on GB uh, Bob Skeleton uh, podium nice. squad in 2011. Um, I didn't know he did Ninja Warrior. Yeah, that's cool. Mate, that's really Ninja cool. Warrior. And that was only a couple of years ago too. So he's, he's still in good shape in his, I think he's 34 now. So going to talk to him about um, adaptations to various different types of athletic discipline. Um, he's, he's done some really awesome stuff uh, for Blue Beta in terms of extreme challenges. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to talk about his training methods, preparation over the years um, and, and all that kind of stuff. So that'll be a really, really good uh, episode. So we'll get him on the phone. Um, hopefully in the next couple of episodes. Brilliant, cool. So that's episode two of Chin Up. Um, see you next time. Cheers.